time for the Manufacturing Austin Podcast, sponsored by Texas Mutual. Welcome. My name is Ed Latson, and this is the Manufacturing Austin Podcast, sponsored by Texas Mutual. Today, our guest is Scott Lindgren, the Managing Director for Shunk Sycarb, a thriving semiconductor supplier focused on quartz, graphite, and advanced ceramics. He has a diverse background that ranges from very large companies to middle market to startups and sectors that include services and software and wireless technologies, electronics, and for the past 15 years, semiconductors. He's at the forefront of several things I find very interesting. The investment that is coming from the U.S. government into semiconductors and the global politics that is shifting supply chains. He is the right person to tell us about what to expect and how these forces might change us globally and locally. Scott, welcome, man. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, this is a great opportunity. Thanks again. And it's an exciting time for all of us in technology and manufacturing. So tell us about Shunk's iCarb and uh, your role in the company. Great. Well, um, again, thanks for having me and uh, for having us. Um, Scott Lindgren, uh, Managing Director and, and President for uh, Shunk's iCarb Technology in the U.S. So basically, I've got all of the uh, U.S. operations uh, production, uh, planning, engineering, also sales, manufacturing, uh, basically everything from, uh, from, from top to bottom. But we are part of a global company. So I've got uh, sister companies and, and uh, affiliated companies in Netherlands and across Asia and Europe. So uh, we're all over the world, wherever uh, semiconductor customers need us. Well, how about, you know, scope and, and footprint of your facility in Georgetown? What, is, uh, what does it look like if you take a walk through there? Yeah, so we're, we've been in Georgetown now for about 25 years. The company's been uh, operating 40 years globally. And the Georgetown operation specializes in uh, high-precision quartz parts that are used in the manufacture of semiconductors. So when a, a company like Samsung or Intel sets up a, a fabrication facility, a production facility that's, that gets nicknamed as a fab, uh, they buy all of these multi-million dollar uh, pieces of equipment from companies like Applied Materials and ASM, Tel, uh, and others. And then inside of those machines, many of those machines are are running off of uh, parts that are made by Zycarb. Uh, some of them are coated in silicon carbide graphite, uh, which our company in Netherlands makes. And then some of them are high-precision quartz parts. Uh, which are designed and built right here in Georgetown, Texas. So we make them new. Uh, we're also able to uh, refurbish these parts. And it's a very broad portfolio of quartz parts. And quartz is interesting because it looks a lot like glass. Um, it's either clear or opaque. So it looks kind of like a milky white. All of that is quartz, but it's much more dense. So it takes uh, diamond-tipped coring and drilling bits to be able to work with it. You can't melt it and pour it into a mold like you can with glass. Uh, so it's very difficult to work with. Uh, although it's extremely dense, it's also very uh, fragile. So it's easy to break, easy to scratch. So it takes a lot of skill to be able to work with this. And our workers are basically a combination of artists and uh, skilled precision machinists. And so it's a it's a fascinating blend of artistry and uh, automation and use of machinery and tools. It's a, it's a very challenging material to work with. 
And uh, a lot of these parts are consumable, right? I mean, this is returning business and you're a critical link in the supply chain to keep these fabs operating and running. You're exactly right. I mean, when, uh, when we talk about, again, you know, the, the Samsungs, Intels, NXPs, Infineons, um, they're all reliant on these machines running to be able to create a uh, silicon wafer that then gets turned into a set of semiconductor chips. And these chips really, depending on how you, you uh, use electricity through them, will either conduct or not conduct electricity, which is where the term semiconductor comes in. And these are anywhere from microprocessors, microcontrollers, memory chips, uh, analog sensors, um, RF radio, and the like. And these machines that uh, these customers uh, buy to make these chips have to have quartz parts in them uh, to be able to run. And so you're right, w without Zycar parts, then the machines don't run, the semiconductors don't get made. So uh, we're, we're a really critical part of that semiconductor supply chain. I know I mentioned some of this in the intro, but, um, you know, you have a, a really diverse background, you know, uh, in a lot of different industries. You were really brought in here as a growth catalyst. You know, talk about your approach to um, running the business and growing the business. No, thanks for that. You know, there's a, a lot of companies focus in on the, uh, the, the technical part of things, and, and they tend to hire leadership into a specific technical range. But what I found is that companies aren't just batches of technology. They're not uh, brick and mortar buildings and logos and products. They're people. It's groups of people that get together and have a, a like-minded uh, desire to produce good services. And, uh, and, and basically, companies need focus, number one. Um, so a lot of companies try to be all things to all people. And it's, it's really tempting to try to be, you know, kings and queens of the universe everywhere. Whereas I found that if you can find where you offer the greatest advantage to your customers and where you've got the greatest skill sets internally and externally, that focus is really critical uh, to, to getting a company back onto a really high trajectory growth path. The, the second one is just developing ownership. So bringing the employee base from every level of the company into the conversation about who, who are we? And what are we doing? And what is it that every one of us does uh, when we wake up in the morning and we go to our jobs? How are we contributing to the success of the company? And that's the success of the customers and that's the success of that industry. So, you know, making sure that everyone feels like they are directly contributing to the growth of that company gives that level of ownership. And then all of that, if you do it well and you've got transparent communications, you care deeply about your, your employees. Uh, you thank their families for their role, uh, supporting all of us that work very long hours and travel and have you know, difficult roles. And you pull that all together into kind of a family. That's when you, you get to the third piece, and that's passion. Uh, people who have passion about what they do can overcome anything. And so when you add that focus, the ownership, and the passion, I found you bring that together and companies of across many different types of technology, many different types of industries can very quickly get back on track and be able to get to a high growth area. And that's been the case uh, with the companies that I've worked for, and that will be the case going forward. And I've found that it's pretty successful. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, you've led the company through some really interesting times, you know, going from uh 
some of the global trade wars, COVID uh, to where we are now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and this is a, an amazing time. You know, we talked about you're kind of a growth catalyst. I mean, it's also got to be nice to have such strong demand from your market. And uh, certainly semiconductors has seen, you know, a uh, period of time like I've never witnessed in, in, in my uh, awareness in this role. Um, can you talk a little bit about where we are just globally with semiconductors and, and this moment we're in and, and maybe how that impacts you specifically? It's really been an interesting couple of years because semiconductors have been critical to every piece of electronics and have been part of our daily lives for decades. And there's been a cyclicality to it when we see the macro uh, economy go up and down, semiconductor industry goes up and down. Uh, but what's been, I guess, quietly happening over the years is there's been a deeper and deeper penetration of semiconductors into every single piece of our lives. Some of these terms are the Internet of Things. Other is, you know, industrialization. Others, the electrification of uh, vehicles, for instance, going from mechanical to electrical and EVs are a, a very uh, clear and obvious example of that. But now you've got electronics and toasters and you adjust the seat in your car and you've got, you know, six different uh, sensors and, and, and processors working that. I mean, it's amazing how semiconductors have become so um, integral to our lives. And it was during, you know, COVID and the supply chain disruption when that became just front and center obvious to everyone is, is you saw so many industries shut down because they did not have a critical chip somewhere in their, their, uh, their service or their product. And so now everyone is, is keenly aware of just uh, what a fundamental uh, piece of, of our working lives that semiconductors are. So yeah, it, it's really exciting from a growth perspective. It's exciting to know that, that uh, semiconductors are finally getting kind of their due respect, if you will, that, that uh, these, these, critical uh, pieces of our lives are, are now uh, front page news. And uh, it means the entire supply chain is now part of that. So it's not just the fabs that get the headlines, you know, the $17 billion in Samsung and the tens and tens and tens of billions for, you know, Wolf Speed and Global Foundries and Intel and others. I mean, certainly those are the, the, the big dogs in the space from a fab perspective. But their fabs don't run if applied materials and ASM and Tel and LAM can't get their machines. And a lot of those machines don't run if you can't get Zycar parts. So it's all tied together. And we now see that. And that's a really good thing. And the U.S. government's done a great job with the CHIPS Act and, and some other uh, incentives to highlight uh, just how critical it is to, from a U.S. perspective and I think that's one of the big trends we're seeing is, is regionalization. But perhaps that's something we'll uh, we'll talk about later. Let's hit it right now, because I, I think it's something very interesting. Um, you know, obviously, there is a movement away from unfettered globalization. Um, you have this awareness that you have to be domestically self-sufficient, at least in some core technologies. Um, regionalism and, and uh, localizing supply chains is something people are examining as tools to build more resiliency. But, um, you know, you named companies all over the world when you're talking about the critical supply chain and semiconductor, you know, you have AS ASML in the Netherlands and 
uh, applied materials in the United States, and you have these fabs all across the globe, and 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 hundreds of more small, medium-sized companies too. You know, how do those two things reconcile? You know, I'm a big fan of of global trade and free trade, and when it's done right, I, I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. But it's unfortunate that that governments some kind you know they just can't help themselves apparently, and uh, and start putting in trade tariffs and restrictions and they become, you know, weapons uh, for politics between countries and it, it hurts uh, global technology. So uh, it, it makes our jobs harder uh, because, you know, if you're sourcing uh, globally, then you have to restrict your sources to certain areas. And I think the direction that we're heading, and actually it's, it's pretty clear, is that we're going to have some pretty heavy regionalized uh, operations. So you're going to have kind of China incorporated is how I look at it, where they're having their own ecosystem of raw materials suppliers through consumable parts suppliers like Zycarb, uh, to the machine suppliers like Applied, and then to the, the fabs like, like Samsung and Intel. And, uh, and they want to have all of that within their borders. And they're clearly making strong moves in that direction. And they've been making a lot of progress there. And that is absolutely clearly going to push the U.S. to do the same thing. And you're seeing that, right? With Taiwan Semiconductor, the world's largest chip maker, has made you know their biggest investment ever in Phoenix. Um, and there's a reason for that is because you know there's the China influence directly on Taiwan, of course, which is which is scary. Uh, but there's also this regionalized approach where they can see that they're going to have to have a direct fab, you know, chip making presence in the U.S. And they're going to have to bring their supply chain in on it as well, which is why we're, you know, it's no secret we're working with, with them and all the other um, fab providers and equipment providers for that reason. So you're seeing all these huge investments in the U.S. because at some point there's going to be either effectively or, or almost literally a wall off uh, where, uh, where you see that the entire ecosystem for semiconductor has to be available within free trade countries. Uh, otherwise, they won't be able to produce, and that will shut down, again, what's a really critical part of their their uh, infrastructure. What about locally? I mean, you know, all these kind of political forces are operating at such a global scale, and it's, it's really, um, you know, big boy politics, for lack of a better term. Uh, but locally, you know, there there's going to be impact from this CHIPS Act and the bipartisan investment into semiconductors. I think Central Texas really stands to gain a lot. Do you think that's going to also hit the supply chain, not just the big fabs? Completely. Yes, absolutely. Because for the for the same reason is that, you know, to to be able to supply, again, a 17 billion dollar investment from Samsung and Taylor um, and all these other um, expansions that are that are going on across uh, across Texas and across the rest of the U.S., you're going to have to have parts suppliers and repair shops and uh, engineers and you know clean room uh, technicians and you know all the people that make this work. I mean, you can't just sort of go to the the semiconductor fab store and pick off the shelf. You know all the stuff that you need. Um, you need training. You need to find people to work. Uh, you need to keep them there uh, while there's a highly competitive uh, trade and uh, job market in central Texas. And, uh, and that's not an easy thing. And so 
I think we're all wondering uh, how this is going to play out and we're all doing the best we can to, to uh, attract and, and keep the best people to make the right investments in the area. You know, we're making a huge uh, bet on this In fact, even before Samsung announced their expansion, uh, Zycarb uh, made a bet that uh, we have not yet announced this publicly. So I guess actually you're getting an exclusive here. Hey, all right. You're, Breaking um, news. Yeah, we, we have not announced this until now, but we're going to have a 130,000 square foot facility uh, that's being built uh, in Georgetown. So it's going to be uh, you know, three to four times the size of our, our current facility, state-of-the-art manufacturing for semiconductor quartz. Uh, really excited about this. Uh, we own the land. We're in the, the detailed design phase. We'll be breaking ground in four or five months. And, uh, and you know, in the back half of next year, we'll be moving in to that space. And so uh, we're, we're putting a lot of money uh, towards this expansion. And we'll see. It will. This may not even be the last uh, U.S. Uh, expansion and, and additional site that we have, but it's certainly the next one. Uh, so we're we're all in on this, and uh, and we're excited about that. Hey, you know that's that's great to hear, and it's also great to hear that you still feel like um, Central Texas is the place to be and succeed. I think you have been really a forward-thinking leader in a lot of ways. I've watched uh, some of the transformation of the facility uh, since you've been, um, you know, running the show and, uh, you know, a lot of focus on automation, cutting in processes. Um, some of that is, is to circumvent, you know, labor challenges, but a lot of it's just because uh, you can control quality and, and um, you know, drive product that your customers want in a way. But talk about the, the opportunity from having a uh, new building and be able to start, you know, with a uh, plan instead of inheriting uh, old processes. Is that, does that present opportunities? <laughs> Huge. I, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm drooling just thinking about it. Uh, yeah. So it, you're spot on about the automation. You know, the, there are clear examples um, that it's required for consistency and, and repeatability in the industry, there's a there's a thing called uh, you know copy exactly and chamber matching, where you have to have the exact same piece operate the exact same way every single time, and that doesn't come from from hand building parts. It, it you know it it comes from uh, precision that a lot of times only machines and automation can do. But there's such a heavy people element involved uh, that what we've done is we've we've used automation to offload uh, those tasks that that our uh, machinists and our welders and our fire polish uh, uh, technicians don't want to do and uh, and free them up towards work that they like doing much more. And so we've not only extended uh, then the, uh, the labor pool, in a sense, as, as you were alluding to, uh, it's also then increased uh, satisfaction with our employees because they've got a better quality of life. They're able to work on the more challenging and interesting things so our automation hasn't taken jobs, just the opposite. Um, it's increased jobs. We've almost doubled uh, the, the number of uh, employees that we've got in our welding and fire polishing area over the years, be, partly because of automation. And so when we get into a new space, then we're going to be able to spread out and, and really be able to replicate some of these systems where today we only have room for one of this and then one of that and then one of this other thing. 
we'll be able to have two or three or four and, and have development areas which make it easier for us to go even further into cutting edge. I mean, we're the world's leader in semiconductor quartz automation, and we're very proud of that. But we recognize we can't rest on our laurels, so we have to keep moving forward and keep expanding, having a new state-of-the-art space with expanded engineering, expanded uh, R&D, and, of course, expanded production is exciting, and, and I just absolutely can't wait to get in there. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it's the right time as well. Hey, uh, you know, just to summarize a couple of, of things we've talked about, uh, you know, we, we've talked about the shift in um, investment in semiconductors and some of the disruptive times we've been in with global trade and um, COVID coming out of that pandemic. Are, are your challenges any different now than they were two years ago? A little bit. Uh, uh, certainly, globalization is a greater concern than it was. Uh, you know, where we used to have diversity of raw material suppliers all across the world, we're having to increase that diversity just because we think that some of those sources are eventually going to be cut off or at least become so unattractive through tariffs and restrictions that it just doesn't make sense for us to uh, to continue doing that. So we, we're having to expand our own supply chain and, and, uh, and, and partner efforts uh, as well. Uh, but a lot of our, our challenges have been just around uh, finding and keeping great labor, making sure that we are keeping our uh, culture and our people priorities as we continue to grow. Um, how is it that we can uh, maintain a level of precision and leadership uh, while keeping up with just this massive, almost crushing demand uh, coming from all of our customers? and. Um, those are uh, those are challenges that we've had for some years, and they continue going forward. So I'd say it's it's a, a lot of the same with a few new challenges added on. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I hear you talk about crushing demand too, and I know a lot of that's coming from just the expansions. But you know, the the market has backed off a little bit, at least for it was uh, two years ago from from a chip uh, demand standpoint. Um, do you think that the investment backs off at all, or do you think it's going to be full steam ahead? I think it's full steam ahead. I mean, there are going to be pockets of of investments by some companies that either get delayed or maybe muted slightly, but I think that's very short-term thinking. And uh, and it's something that, unfortunately, the semiconductor industry has been guilty of in the past is, is these wild fluctuations between under and oversupply. But that's smoothed out over the years, and, and I'm seeing a bit more of a mature approach. And the backlog of demand, at least in our space, is so big that you, you could basically cut off a year of orders, and we would still be at full capacity. And so I see those investments continuing. Yeah, Again, you might, out of caution, especially for public companies where you've got perhaps people outside the industry that don't understand and they don't want to see their their stock take a hit. That they might delay some investments or maybe you know mute uh, what what they're publicly saying they're putting in. But the smart ones are going to be full in because this isn't going anywhere. The number of chips and things isn't going to go down. It's going to go up. Uh, you know the the demand for all semiconductors will continue to rise, and and the companies that are are best positioned to take advantage of those opportunities are the ones that are, that are going to keep taking market share. So I just urge, you know, all of my colleagues around the world, you know, resist the temptation to uh, to give into quarterly earnings <laughs> pressure 
and continue to the long term because uh, this is just going getting bigger and bigger and and we need to drive it. Well, hey, Scott, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. I mean, I uh, love the note of optimism. Uh, it's going to be exciting to watch what you guys do this year and also building this new facility. Very much appreciate your time. Thanks, Ed, and thanks for all the great work that you and Arma does. Uh, we're, we're proud to be a part of that organization and proud to be a part of Central Texas. So uh, let's keep on rolling. This is the Manufacturing Austin Podcast, sponsored by Texas Mutual. We'll see you next time.